Welcome to the China in the World podcast, a series of discussions examining China's foreign policy and shifting engagement with the world. The China in the World podcast is brought to you by Carnegie China and hosted by me, Paul Hanley. Welcome back to the China in the World podcast. This is the second episode of the China in the World 10-year anniversary series. In this series, I look back on the more than 180 interviews I have conducted over the past 10 years to help put current international issues into context. In this episode, I look back on 10 years of China-Russia relations, one year after Russia's invasion of Ukraine in February 2022. China-Russia relations have evolved significantly since the launch of the China in the World podcast. In 2014, Russia announced its annexation of Crimea, which at the time was viewed with both ambivalence and consternation in China. While Beijing abstained from the UN Security Council resolution to invalidate the 2014 Crimea referendum, China simultaneously criticized the Western sanctions regime imposed on Russia. Since 2014, Moscow and Beijing have gradually expanded their economic, diplomatic, and security exchanges to the point where today many view the China-Russia relationship as the strongest it has been since before the Sino-Soviet split in the 1960s. This episode helps shed light on how China-Russia relations have evolved throughout Xi Jinping's first decade in power and during the lead-up to Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine on February 24th, 2022. I hope our listeners enjoy this episode and tune in again next month for another China in the World Look Back episode. Enjoy. With cheering crowds greeting him, Russian President Vladimir Putin made his first visit since Russia annexed Crimea from Ukraine. Turning a Russian holiday commemorating World War II into a celebration of Putin's new Russia. 2014 will enter into the chronicles, into the chronicle of all our country, as the year when all the people who live here have firmly decided to be together with Russia. In the next recording from March 5th, 2014, I spoke with Dr. Su Hao from China Foreign Affairs University about China's reaction to Russia's annexation of Crimea. As you know, the crisis is rapidly evolving and the international community is watching with great concern. And many are wondering what China's position is and what China's response will be to the crisis. The latest statement that I saw from the Chinese foreign ministry was rather ambiguous, explaining that China's position is both to maintain principles of diplomacy and international norms while at the same time taking into consideration the history and the current complexities of the Ukrainian issue. So can you help us understand the Chinese government position and the view of the situation that has unfolded in Ukraine since uh, this fall, November, and deteriorated even further since uh, the middle of last month? On the one hand, China and Russia will have strategic partnership with each other, and on the others, Ukraine also has a critical position in the Chinese foreign relations. So both countries are also very important partners for China. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, at the moment, there's a serious problem between uh, Russia and Ukraine. So make China not very easy to make the, uh, you know, make the uh, very clear attitude. Uh, in other words, take the side 
with uh, one or other uh, countries. But I would say that, number one, China would do hope to, you know, to reduce the tensions mm-hmm. in this area, not only inside of Ukraine, but also the relation between the threats between uh, Ukraine and Russia. Number two, because Ukraine, you know, at the moment, uh, you know, Crimea is also the part of Ukraine in in a right. in a international arrangement, mm-hmm. and the Russians, to some extent, uh, take some military presence in uh, uh, Crimea. So, in this regard, I would say China will take the cautious about that. The next recording comes from an interview with Alexander Gabuev, then senior fellow and the chair of the Russia in the Asia Pacific program about Putin's increasing lean toward Beijing, recorded in May 2015. How, what do you say to the intense speculation in recent months that the appearance of warming ties between President Xi and, and Putin, what do you say about, about, do you think that Xi and Putin are forming a much stronger personal relationship? And what notable changes have we seen in the relationship between Russia and China uh, as of late? Um, are, are, are China and Russia really becoming much more aligned, as people like to say? I would say that on the leadership scale, we definitely see much more closer ties personally between Putin and Xi. Remember then, Jiang Zemin may be the last Chinese leader who fluently spoke Russian, but he was 20 years older than Putin, right? Hu Jintao was 10 years older. So we see like Putin is just half a year older than Xi Jinping. So mm. they are more or less same generation people with more or less same outlook. Putin's personal diplomacy is very much concentrated on building this personal relationship with top leaders. That was his job back at KGB. Mm-hmm. And uh, as far as I know, the two guys got drunk during Putin's <laughs> birthday party in uh, Bali back in 2013, so when Xi Jinping was the only foreign guest at a very small private party of 10 people Mm. uh, in Putin's compound in Bali. So that's where the relationship went very smooth, though they together had sympathy towards each other. You may see that... Sympathy towards each other in which regard? uh, uh, Putin had always certain image here in China as a strong personal leader who can fly uh, a fighter jet and who fights corruption and who fights oligarchs yeah. and many people speculate in Russia and heard that from some Chinese colleagues that he might be emulating or at least looking at Putin's sees, looking at, at Putin's public image there and I know very well that Russians are looking into anti-corruption campaign, which is happening now in China very closely Mm. in how Xi Jinping executes that. In the next recording from April 2017, I spoke with Carnegie scholars Andrew Weiss and Paul Stronsky as part of the fifth Carnegie Global Dialogue series. We spoke about the implications of the Trump administration's foreign policy for China-Russia relations. We spent a lot of time yesterday at the Carnegie Tsinghua Center talking about this notion of the triangular dynamics between U.S., China, and Russia, with each side looking to use their relationship with the other 
as leverage uh, in their relationship with the other side. Does this dynamic, in your view, still exist between the U.S. and China and Russia, as it did in the early 70s under President Nixon and, and Henry Kissinger as national security advisor? And if so, how has Trump impacted this calculus? Can he impact this calculus if this dynamic exists? Let me turn to you, Andrew, first to start. When I first started hearing these intimations out of planet Trump that the U.S.-Russia relationship could be used as a tool to deal with a rising China and then ultimately contain it, I thought, this is so ludicrous and so unworkable. But you keep hearing these, these themes just as you hear this kind of Islamophobic stuff emanating out of the Trump administration as well, that you know, Russia is a potential partner mm. to manage uh, the threat of Islamic terrorism. I think it does, you know, have, you know, a kind of uh, purchase over what animates the new administration. I think that dog won't hunt. I think mm. it's, a, it's, a, it's a faulty logic and a, and a really simplistic idea of how the global order is going to be structured. Um, and I think the you know for the Russians the relationship with China is really important. It's it's part of what makes Russia great again. It's what gives Russia clout on the international scene that it has a junior partnership with a rising China. So the idea that there's a trade here to be done and that Vladimir Putin's going to be seduced away from China's embrace by this brash new American president again, I think it, it's just a, it's it's the height of silliness. Paul Stronsky, any different views on the triangular relationship? Um, no, I mean, I, I sort of have a, a very similar views. Uh, you know, I do think, uh, you know, the uh, President Putin wants to check American power, um, and alone he has a difficult time doing that. But I think together with China, um, it is a lot easier for, for him uh, uh, to go about uh, you know, defending uh, Russian interests, pushing back at at uh, attempts to intervene in the sovereignty of, of former Soviet states, sovereignty of Russia, uh, his belief that that is is what is going on. Um, so I I would agree with both of them. I mean, I don't think there's all that much there there. Um, and I also uh, think there's disagreements uh, inside the Trump administration over whether this is a hmm. this is a, a reasonable uh, and feasible policy. The next recording comes from an interview on April 3rd, 2018, with Alexander Gabuev, then senior fellow and the chair of the Russia and the Asia Pacific program, about the fundamental drivers of China-Russia relations. So as Russia begins to look 360 degrees and diversify its relations and reach out, one of those countries that we've seen an improvement in relations uh, is China. Um, Sasha, you're the Carnegie Moscow Center's resident China hand. How do you see China-Russian relations fitting into Russia's overall foreign policy priorities, as Dmitry laid out? You've engaged uh, Chinese scholars over the last uh, couple days, and you talked uh, very articulately about how you see these four pillars in the China-Russia relationship. You could, the uh, listeners would benefit to hear your analysis on that. I think that something, uh, there are several factors that predate the earthquake that uh, Crimea and Ukraine crisis produced for Russian foreign policy and reorientation and pivoting to itself, the way Dmitry puts it. And I think that these four factors or four pillars are the need to protect uh, the border and maintain security and stability along the 
colossal uh, Russia-China border uh, than the economic compatibility between the two countries, uh, political compatibility between the two regimes, and then the mutual affinity between the leaders. So if we look at the border, that's the largest border that China has with any country, that's second largest border for Russia, and during the times of Sino-Soviet split, both countries invested a lot of resources in protecting those borders and preparing for foreign invasion. As soon as the, the opportunity presented itself to normalize these ties and reduce investment into security, both countries jump on that opportunity and right now need to maintain stability along this uh, land space, provides the floor for Sino-Russian relationship. It's never... It's not always with each other, but never against each other. And the border really guarantees that this is the formula that works for both. On economic compatibility, I think that Russia as an exporter is mostly about commodities. That's what Russia gives to the outside world. And it really needs markets, capital, both long-term loans and investment and technology. And uh, traditionally, Russia has been looking for those items in the West, particularly in Europe. But if you look East, China is exactly the same, has exactly the same characteristics. And Russia is increasingly putting more eggs into China's basket and diversifying. Uh, so the trade structure between Russia and EU and Russia and China is absolutely similar. And it's all logical that Russia tries to increase its footprint in China. On domestic politics, I think neither Russia or China fits into the model which we'll call liberal Western democracy. Both countries are different. They try to manage their domestic politics in a different way. And there is a lot of similarities and room for mutual learning, like when it comes to foreign NGOs or internet freedom, sovereignty. Both countries really put premium on sovereignty and state over the rights of individuals very broadly defined. And then last point, the leaders, which play an increasingly important role, mm. both in China and in Russia, they are age mates, they have many similarities in their background, and they really want to make their country great again. And they have some sort of suspicions about US intentions when it comes to their regimes and themselves. The next recording comes from an interview on May 14th, 2021 with Vita Spivak, an analyst at Control Risks on the growing China-Russia partnership. How do um, Russians see the Biden administration's approach and U.S.-Russia US relations, and then this other piece of working more multilaterally with partners and allies? Overall, I would also just like to point out that um, the Trump administration and Biden administration as well, they often tend to put China and Russia uh, together uh, when they're talking about the multilateral position of the U.S. as a global power. Um, and uh, they, they basically uh, portray Russia and China as a this, this joint threat to the uh, uh, established global order. Uh, so in this regard, uh, I would say that uh, overall, Russia is trying to see how it could uh, leverage the relationship, uh, its closeness with China in its relations uh, with the U.S. and uh, with the Western 
um, countries. And um, in the context that the overall political rela relationship is developing um, in a pretty positive way in the recent years and uh, in the post-pandemic world, this trend is likely to continue. The economic relationship between the two, the two countries is also uh, getting, getting more and more uh, intensive. And uh, then again, despite the pandemic, the, the overall economic uh, relationship, trade and even investment um, is continuing between China and Russia. So uh, Russia is just trying to get as much benefits uh, from its closeness uh, to China and leverage this and sell this uh, to the West uh, as a way of uh, saying like, hey, what would you give us um, in exchange of, for not falling to China's embrace too deeply? But I'm afraid it's not uh, really working out that well yet. So Russia is uh, driving further and further um, closer to uh, China in both economic and political um, realms, realms. Following audio clip comes from an interview during the ninth Carnegie China Global Dialogue Series with Dr. Guang Guihai from Peking University. It was recorded on December 14, 2021, two months prior to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Uh, Dr. Guan, um, let me turn to you. Um, please give us a sense, if you could, how these, uh, th this, these uh, uh, troop buildups um, along the border uh, with Ukraine uh, are viewed in China. And, you know, how does this impact the China-Russia relationship? How do you expect the Chinese government to, to respond? And if there is an invasion, uh, a Russian invasion into Ukraine, you know, would China support Russia? Would it remain quiet? Uh, would Chinese leaders uh, prefer to distance themselves from a crisis like that in Eastern Europe? What would, what would China's position be and, and, and why is that? Ukraine for China is too far. So it is uh, generally a headache for uh, Russia, European Union, and the United States. Uh, China, in this regard, uh, keep quiet. Uh, but uh, mostly we are uh, standing, standing uh, closer to the Russia position. Uh, because uh, we know the uh, the uh, source of the tension. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, Russia may uh, may uh, may do uh, another choice if uh, NATO and uh, United States uh, uh, should uh, should not uh, 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 make the pressure towards Russia. Uh, in this region so hardly. Uh, so uh, we understand the logic. Uh, first step is uh, Western uh, partners uh, uh, unfriendly uh, step. And uh, then Russia uh, answer uh, more uh, assertively. So uh, in this regard, we cannot say very clearly in this uh, issue, which one uh, more responsible? So we keep uh, quiet. Uh, but uh, we understand the Russian uh, feelings uh, because almost the same thing if you 
uh, talk about the uh, tension between China and the neighboring country in the Asia Pacific region, uh, almost the same thing. I mean, uh, uh, United States uh, uh, could not take the uh, uh, middle position, almost uh, very clear the position against China and the, the, the closer to uh, other parts party uh, when uh, China have the deal in the region. In the following interview, recorded on February 15th, 2023, I spoke with Professor Li Ming Jiang from the Rajaratnam School of International Studies at Nanyan Technological University in Singapore on the one-year anniversary of the war in Ukraine. You know, how important is it for President Xi uh, that President Putin doesn't lose the war in Ukraine. Is that an important goal for him? And what would President Xi be willing to do to prevent Russia from losing? Well, um, if Russia um, completely loses, there's very little, almost nothing that China can have to save Russia. And I would say China probably doesn't have any strong incentive uh, to uh, uh, help prevent you know, such a scenario, a scenario of um, uh, Russia being completely defeated or uh, Putin uh, losing badly. Uh, you know, one, one, one reason is this. You know, if China would uh, go out, uh, do its best to save Putin in Russia, and it will basically lead to uh, almost complete collapse in the relations between China and the U.S., U.S., China, and uh, in, the, in the Western world, uh, EU countries. And that's a huge consequence for China. I don't think Xi Jinping or Chinese are prepared uh, to accept that kind of uh, consequence, right? Um, so um, to me, that's... That's difficult to imagine. Um, and I, I think more likely uh, China will continue its wait and see. Um, and um, wait and see policy and, and, um, and watch the situation uh, in Ukraine closely. Uh, even if Putin and Russia is defeated, Militarily, and Russia becomes a much weaker power, and that will be uh, something acceptable, I think, for Xi Jinping and for China. Uh, instead of going out to, to, to help Russia and save Russia uh, to prevent Russia from being defeated. Um, yeah, I, I think yeah, I think that's more likely. And there is a sort of thinking um, in the policy committee in China that you know, no matter what, uh, you know, Russia has so many resources. Right? It has a very large population, has a large territory. And even if it's badly defeated, uh, it won't uh, become a small power. Right? It will remain um, at least a middle power for quite some time. And this defeat, even if Putin is gone, uh, although we don't know whether that's going to happen or not, Right, will leave a deep scar in the minds of a uh, lot of Russians, Russian elites. Uh, it's hard to imagine that uh, in post this war era, 
if Russia is defeated, uh, mm. you will see Russia completely getting towards the West, going the U.S. to, you know, uh, to, 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 to do things against China. Thank you for listening to the China in the World podcast. For more episodes and research, please go to carnegieendowment.org. This episode was produced by Nathaniel Schur with assistance from Wang Yuanhang and Michael Malanconi. The music was composed by Spencer Barnett.